get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner, gets up center. I had like a whole thing that I wanted to do, and then I completely forgot what it was. So we're just going to start with me saying I had a thing that I wanted to do, and it didn't happen. Oh, you mean when I panicked and thought we were live? <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so Eddie, Eddie had an incident, we'll yeah, say, we'll call it that. where a, a cat knocked over a cactus, and he's just sitting there bitching about it. So then I tweeted but didn't at him. Jason sends a message into the Forever Mighty discord saying why is eddie bitching about cactuses to which eddie goes how does jason know that, that i was at the time i was playing around with the stream getting it set up so i thought we were i thought we were live <laughs> I, I could not connect the dots for a good solid two minutes so if you're wondering why we're a few minutes late that's why i was panicking trying to oh, figure out if we've um, been live for the last 20 minutes of setup oh. behind the scenes but Oh, that was so funny. I just, I'm so happy right so now. So let's, let's address this in the beginning for everybody that is live here and obviously anybody listening or watching after the fact. For the last two months, we have sat here and told you and promised you that Pat and Jason would be here for the Duck Season preview. And Jason's been on a few, so we'll give him some credit. Um, he's been on the a few of our non-Ducks-related pods lately, so and he's sick today, so that's fine. Pat promised publicly on Twitter he would be here for today. And we sat here and said 100% he's going to be here and he's going to be on the show and he's going to make his return. And as you can see, Pat is not here. Pat was not able to make it today. Um, Jason, like we said, is sick. Jason's in the ch Jason's at least in the chat. He's in the chat and uh, he's participating today. But uh, Pat could not make it. So... The uh, running joke that we have them both locked in our basement doesn't get any harder to explain away with Pat not being here again. <laughs> but we promise they're safe. And uh, we have Jason at point right now yeah. uh, telling him he has to be in the chat. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I don't want to make any more promises, hopefully soon. Uh, whenever yeah, Jason gets better, we know Jason will be on probably the next show. Hopefully, he, he his whole family's sick right now. So, hopefully, he gets better. Um, yeah, like you said, he's a he's like legitimately out for the count right now. That's yeah, if you want Pat back on the show, go to go to his social media and send him a bunch of DMs to tell him to come back on the show and how much you miss him and that you want him back. This will either go one of two ways: he'll get a bunch of them and he'll be excited and happy and he'll come back, or he'll listen to this and he'll get no DMs. <laughs> <laughs> and it would it might. There's literally no way. That we can lose. Either way, we win. Checkmate. So, Checkmate. Either way, we win. Um, but hey, we're back to talk Ducks hockey for once. For the last, I think, probably four episodes, right? At least four. We've been doing um, the division previews because we've had nothing else to talk about. And there's been some little tidbits of news here or there, training camp. And we had training camp interviews planned. And we just thought we'd, we would wait and leave it all for today. 
uh, we'll, we'll we'll use that excuse. Um, yeah, absolutely. So we've been yeah we've been releasing uh, the division preview shows, but now we're finally here with our full breakdown uh, of the Ducks season. And for once, we got news before we recorded. So the Ducks opening night roster was released, um, and a few things kind of leading up to that. But most of the guys we expected to make it, if you had have asked us probably a couple months ago when we had the full list, made it. A lot of the locks, you know, the typical guys from last year. Um, younger guys like Mason McTavish, we expected to make the roster. But then a few surprises, one of which, Pavel Regenda, Marion Hossa 2.0. After a great preseason playing with Derek Grant, Max Jones, he makes the roster. And then uh, a new boy, as of today, Brett Leeson claimed off waivers from the Washington Capitals. He makes the roster. Glenn Godden went on waivers. And uh, Rocco Grimaldi, not right yet, as of yet, not signed. From his PTO. Not also released either. So Rocco Grimaldi is in limbo on whether he's going to sign or not. But as of the opening right roster for Wednesday, he won't be on it. And then on defense, it's Nathan Beaulieu, who's the new name, who makes the opening night roster, and Colton White as a part of a 13-4-8 defense and two goaltender roster. Sam Carrick, John Moore, and Erho Vakaninen are still on the IR. I would imagine at least Vax and Carrick, right, would find their way back into the roster at some point whenever they come back? Uh, yeah, I think Carrick it will. I don't know about Vakaninen because I think you could make a pretty strong argument that off of whatever injury he's doing, the best thing might be to send him down to the AHL, even if it is just on like a, a conditioning stint or something, but get him a couple games uh, before... Uh, before pulling him back into you know full game speed in, in the NHL, um, but we should say the other thing is the there are two other additions to the blue line that aren't actually additions because they already happened, but they haven't played yep. yet. Which is John Klingberg and Dmitry Kulikov. Dmitry Kulikov. So as of now, it looks like the top four is going to be uh, Cam and Klingberg, and then Kulikov Treesdale, which you know they've looked good. They've looked really good in preseason. I think most people kind of thought that made the most sense as two pairings, given that, you know, who the new guys are and that Cam and, and Jamie seem to be more suited to anchor their own lines as opposed to, to playing together. Um, well, like the only, the so, only yeah, other... So then it's about the, the Yeah, the only other, point. like, pairing that we saw that for the top four that possibly could get put together is Fowler back with Drysdale and then Kulikov with Klingberg. Because I believe when Klingberg was in Dallas, he was playing with Essel Lindell, right? Which is, in a sense, mm -hmm. similar to... Lindell played with uh, Heiskanen. Who did Kulikov play? Or who did Klingberg play with? Is it Suter? Probably with Ryan Suter. So similar similar in the sense of a kind of a defensive defenseman that he played with. So I thought that might be possible. But I do like this better. I think for Drysdale, it's a lot better I, to be able to be paired with a mm -hmm. guy like Kulikov than also to not have to be the number one guy anymore. And that top line and top pair of, of Klingberg and Fowler is going to be really difficult to play against. I mean, both of them are exceptional skaters, and we saw already from small taste in preseason from what Klingberg can do on the offensive side of the game, the way he can get the puck up the ice and, and his work on the power play so far. So it's been fun to watch. It's going to be... A revamped blue line for sure, mostly because of Klingberg, but I do like what Kulikov brings. And in barring injuries, I can't see anybody breaking in to that top four at any point throughout the season, right? Like they're 
our top two prospects on defense are in juniors and Zellweger who got sent back and Pavel Mintikov who's in Saginaw in the OHL. There's a few guys down in San Diego, you know, Drew Hellison might come up at some point, uh, Axel Anderson maybe, but none of these guys you would say would jump into the top four at any point without injuries, forcing them into that spot. And even then it'd be guys like already on the roster, Shattenkirk, Colton White, Nathan Beaulieu, Simon Benoit, who would probably jump into the, that spot beforehand. So this is probably the guys we're going to see for most of the season, which is nice. It's it's going to be fun. Yeah, I think um, I think that the the defense is is more balanced. It makes more sense, kind of where everybody slots in now. <clears throat> like we said, you know, going into this summer, like no matter what happened, I think this is specifically when we were kind of talking about the chicken rumors. Um, you know, like. Uh, Cam was always going to be the top pair no matter who they brought in, whether it was playing with Cam or without Cam. It didn't matter if they were a number one. Cam was going to be the top pair just because he's Cam. And I think this way it makes a lot of sense. You give him a really high skill, uh, stylistic compliment to him to play with him on that top line to really play up a, a big bunch of minutes. And then you bring in you know a, a steady veteran who kind of came into the league as a more offensive-minded player and has kind of transitioned in the last few years to being a bit of a more defense-first oriented player. And, you know, he's just going to be over there and and play with Jamie and allow Jamie to kind of continue to improve upon uh, what was a solid rookie year, like a good rookie year. Like, I don't think there was anything about it that was especially disappointing, uh, given where he is at, where the team is at, that kind of stuff. Um, and just as we're kind of talking about Jamie, I think, uh, one of the things I noticed in the bit of the preseason that I saw is he looked much more engaged physically than I remember him being at any point last year. Like he was making checks at like the blue line. He was really getting in behind the net and, you know, kind of using his kind of his skating and his body to kind of be a little bit more physical and, and win puck battle. So it, it was really nice to see. Yeah, I mean, I think his rookie season last year goes a little bit under the radar because of obviously what Trevor Zegers and Troy Terry did, and then you look across the league at Moritz Sider and a few of the other rookies that it was still impressive for what he did despite how much he was kind of thrown into the fire with the role he was given last year. Not a lot of help and thrown into being the number one guy, which I think was a lot for him, but for him to do what he did... Uh, last year, I think, deserves some credit. And then this year, to be able to take a step back, in a sense, and not have to be that guy and and uh, and be the second-pairing guy who still, I think, will get power play time. It will most likely now be power play two. I can't imagine they're going to throw him and Klingberg on power play one. Um, I think, I'm trying to remember from the last preseason game, I think they went four forwards and one defenseman with Klingberg. Um, as the lone defenseman on the blue line, but I'll have to double-check that. But I'd imagine he would still get power play time. The Ducks should be in a spot where they split the power play units down the middle. But when you look at those lines from that game, a final preseason game, 6-3 loss to the Kings, I would imagine that's what they go out with in the start of the regular season. Um, That would leave Colton White, uh, Simon Benoit, and uh, newly acquired Brett Leeson as the healthy scratches for that night. But McTavish, Strom, Terry seems like it could be set. Zegers, Toronto, Henry, Glinderstrom, Comtois, Silverberg. Maybe we see some shuffles there. I think 
if you want to pick a line 100% that's going to be set, it's going to be Max Jones, Derek Grant, and Pavel Regenda. The way that yeah, they just play. like we all picked heading into the yeah. uh, preseason, just like we all knew that was going to be the dominant uh, line. Yeah, uh, Derek I, Grant two goals, four assists <laughs> in preseason, and Jones had three goals, one assist. Uh, he he was he looked great, which was awesome to see. Got hurt for a bit, came back too. So Pavel Regenda is playing so well that he has made Ducks fans say nice things in a roundabout way about Derek Grant, and to me, that is the greatest accomplishment in the world. Um. Yeah, no, I think that fourth line it is exactly kind of what you want out of a modern fourth line, right? You can quibble, I guess, if you want, with like Derek Grant as the prototypical fourth line center, but you know he's not a complete fucking joke of a player. Uh, Max Jones is is physical. He's engaged. He talks a lot of shit. He's responsible. You know, he's a, a good playmaker. He go, has no problem going around the net. Puffer again, you know, seems to be someone who has a nice shot and throws his body around a little bit. Like, it just seems like they're going to have you know, an effective kind of checking fourth line that can maybe put some points up. And then, you know, the interesting question becomes is as as Regenda gets better or, or if he gets better and improves, like, does he start to move up the lineup? And does that kind of take a, a a top six into a top nine or, you know, and this is a lot of like card in front of the horse kind of stuff, but I just think the potential for him to be a long-term solution to right wing depth in Anaheim is very exciting. Yeah. I mean, he, he kind of comes out of nowhere because we see these signings by, you know, by teams every off season, guys who have really good years overseas, you know, top, whether it be in Slovakia, Czech Republic, you know, the KHL. We saw the Canucks sign Kuzmenko. Uh, guys come over from Sweden all the time. We remember when the Ducks signed Cody Curran, and some of them work out when you get, you know, from what so far it looks like with the Canucks getting Kuzmenko over, or sometimes it's the Cody Curran situation. I love Cody Curran. I, I, I feel like he wasn't given the greatest chance, but for Pavel Regenda, I mean, he's done everything he can to just show that he deserves a roster spot, and it just from here on out, it just continues, you know, can he continue it going into the regular season here? He's earned himself that spot on the fourth line. I think him, Jones, and Grant have looked great together. It gives the Ducks maybe a little bit of a new look fourth line, something we talked about last year, and one that can maybe generate offense and be a bit more than what it was with Nick Delore on that line, um, which is exciting to see in, in and itself, but I really liked what I saw from him. I mean, he does everything you would want, like you said, in a modern day fourth liner. And yeah, we joked about you know him being him Marion Hosa 2.0, but it is nice to see some of these surprises because across the lineup, it is kind of what we expected it would be going into the regular season as long as everybody was healthy. He's the real kind of one you wouldn't have expected to be there, a guy we all probably thought would have been in San Diego to start the regular season, if not back in Europe, if things didn't pan out for him. But all the credit to him, man. Like, he he showed out impressed, and every game he was in, he did something to stand out and get noticed. Yeah, exactly. He, he, you know, he, you know, worked hard to give himself an opportunity, and then when he was given the opportunity, he made the most of it. And that's really all you can ask for. And to be honest, I think that's really something that, given the way that this organization and this coaching staff is kind of trying to present themselves, uh, you know, outwardly or, or, or trying to put their best foot forward in regards to, you know, meritocracy and things like that to see a guy go. Cause again, like you said, if we would have asked going into camp, like 
he wouldn't have been in my top three guys as I would expect to be on this roster. Um, you know, and he's here and he's absolutely earned it and that rocks. And so to see them kind of, you know, enacting the, the kind of like uh, philosophy that they want to have of this meritocracy, I, I, I think it's awesome, uh, you know, to see him come in and, and have the opportunity to be a meaningful player early on in the season and maybe kind of have a little bit of that, you know, just kind of, uh, just kind of random, uh, like jolt or infusion of like energy that, you know, you weren't expecting. Cause I think all the other young kids are going to be pretty hyped up on a normal level. You know what I mean? They're going to be excited. And, you know, yeah. you can say, talk about McTavish, but I think more than anything, bringing in somebody completely from the outside, uh, I, I think it adds another interesting dynamic to this team. It could be, you know, a huge get for Anaheim moving forward. If we go into the season with these lines, is that the ideal scenario for you with the way they were set up, or would you rather see things shuffled up a little bit? And we kind of <clears throat> talked about this a little bit before, but. Yeah, I mean, so I think it's hard to look at these lines and the way that they're constructed and the way that players are kind of paired up and have significant issues with kind of what they're doing. Like, I, I don't know that there's a lot to be critical of in these de decisions. I think ultimately it's preferential. So like my differences is, is like, I I've said this the whole time, but like I really would like to see a total veteran second line. Rico Strom Vetrano. I would like to see, excuse me. I'm so sorry. I would like to see that line because I think that line would have an opportunity to be a, a very effective line to eat up time at five on five and, and, you know, be effective. Um, and then I, I also think the dynamic of what McTavish brings to the table and how he plays and his skill set complements uh, Terry and Zegers pretty perfectly. And so I think the opportunity to have those three guys together uh, is exciting. Although I think you could very easily talk me into having McTavish and Zegers separate at all times other than the power play is beneficial to Anaheim moving forward uh, just because you expect them to be on separate lines, driving their own lines individually, um, you know. So, uh, yeah, I think that's it. I, well, let me ask you this question. Do you think we see McTavish play games at center this season? I think at some point. Um, and, and treated, in a sense, similar to the Trevor Zegras situation. Obviously, you can't send him down to the AHL and split it up the way they did with Trevor Zegras. But I think it could be like that transition across the season. Probably when somebody goes down with an injury um, at a point where you feel comfortable with the amount of games he's had on the wing that you want to shift him to center and give him that chance. But like right now with Strom, Zegris, and Lindstrom, as long as they're healthy, I'd have to imagine that that is what they're going to stick with for the time being. Um you know, God forbid you don't want to see anybody go down with injury. But the Ducks do have options if somebody does, and McTavish is one of them. I think Henrique is the other. So the good thing is if somebody does go down with an injury, let's say it's Lundstrom for the sake of this example, if you don't feel like you're ready to move McTavish to center, if he's playing well enough on the wing that you want to keep him there, then you you do have that option of Adam Henrique who you can move to the middle. So I think, I think that is a nice insulation for McTavish, so you don't have to rush him there. 
But yeah, I, I think at some point he probably does play a handful of games at center when they feel he's ready just to get that look because they don't have the luxury of sending him down to San Diego, right? He's either going to play the entire season in Anaheim or at some point they're going to make the decision to send him down to the OHL in Hamilton, which, I mean, let's hope that doesn't happen. I think he's too good for that to happen. He looked great in every game he played, and he looked great in the last game he scored a goal against the Kings, so I would imagine he's here to stay, but... Uh, I'm I'm fine with the way they're doing it. I'm fine with him starting on the wing. But yeah, I think a few games at center probably at some point here. <laughs> Sorry about that. I went to get a beer for Jay. So cheers, Jay. Uh, I think I think I I think it would be a post uh, kind of deadline move. You know where it, it's it's easier for them. You know if they're definitively kind of out of the playoff hunt for them to be able to start experimenting. So I. I wouldn't expect him to get more than 15, 20 games at center if he did. But I, I do think there will be some very interesting opportunities down the line to kind of move him to the center. Yeah. But, I mean, there's a lot of guys in this lineup that can play center. And so, you know, having Henrik and Lundestrom and Grant and Strom and Zegres, like, they have a lot of guys who can play through the center of the ice and that puts them in a really good position going forward, like you were talking about, like just to kind of have that kind of natural insulation in kind of uh, from injuries or, or things like that. Like I, I just think is really nice. And, you know, again, like I think the roster's in a good spot moving forward. I still don't know how competitive this team is. I know we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here, but I just think this is a team – that going into this year, I think you're fine watching. I think this is a perfectly fine team to root for. I think there's a lot of likable guys on this team. There's some interesting storylines. And, you know, the best, case scenario, the best case scenario is this team sneaks into the playoffs. And that, mm-hmm. that would kick ass. So, you know, I, I, I don't see any part of this roster that gives me any reason to be concerned or cynical in a way that I'm not already, I guess. Yeah. I, I mean, you've, you've got exciting and interesting storylines across the lineup. It's not in Arizona Coyotes or Chicago Blackhawks scenario. I mean, you've got Zegris and Terry building off of what they did last year. You've got a Calder watch with Mason McTavish. Hopefully you've got new players in Strom and Vitrano and Klingberg who are exciting and you can hope they do well. You've got a returning fan favorite to the lineup after you know being missing all of last season injured in Max Jones to see what he can do. So it it's got some excitement in there. And you've got you know Lucas Dostal at some point you would imagine would come up from San Diego and, and get a few games if there's any injuries. So that will be something to keep an eye on. And Jacob Perot, Braden Tracy, Benoit Olivier Grew are all in San Diego after getting a few games last year. One I think for Tracy and Perot. At some point, they'll come up and, and, and get some games uh, here and there as well. So at least with that point, there will be some excitement to watch. Like you said, uh, how good they're going to be in this division, that remains to be seen. They are kind of in that weird spot where I think publicly, a lot of people have them easily missing the playoffs and being one of the worst teams in this division. I think inside the Ducks fan base, there's some optimism where if things go right, they could make the playoffs. Now things have to go wrong for other teams in this division as well for that to happen. But if not, you know, they could fall somewhere in the middle of the pack there where they're in the playoff hunt. 
up until you know January or February and things fall off and if oh my god that was terrifying holy crap what's that I don't know man like this cat got terrified over here god that scared the shit out of me Man, oh. fall, falling off the rails quickly here. Holy. Oh my god! Um, but yeah, I mean they're in they're in limbo somewhere there where so, they could make the playoffs, um, and that would be great. And it, it it's kind of an out there pick at this point. Uh, but even if they don't, and even if they finish near the bottom of this division, it'll be similar to last year in a sense where it'll be exciting. There'll be things to root for, players to root for, and storylines to follow um, throughout the season that will keep it interesting. So. What? So let's go by, I guess, by position group, right? So let's start with forwards. What about this forward group? Do you think is the the biggest cause for optimism heading into this season? Yeah, I'm, it's fairly. It's probably the easiest answer to pick, but it's it's Trevor Zegers and Troy Terry, and just how dynamic they are, and then potentially adding another Calder candidate in Mason McTavish to the mix of having three exciting young players in the lineup to go with what is a pretty good veteran core built around them in Strom, Henry, Vetrano, Silverberg, right? So I, I think that's the exciting thing there of this forward group is as good as Zegers and Terry were last year, there is the chance that it's even better this year. Right, and as, as and that there's more help around them to be able to lift that offensive ceiling for this forward group. So I think I think that's the exciting thing is what more can you get from these guys last year because or this year because last year was great. Okay, so yeah, Okamara says no Delorier. That's the biggest, <laughs> that's the biggest positive. Of the, that's of how the you know Jay and Pat aren't on the podcast. Otherwise, we would have had the next <laughs> ten minutes of us yeah. yelling at Okamara. Uh, I think, so, okay, then let me ask you this. What do you think is the biggest concern for the forward group heading into this season? It's like, it's kind of the inverse of that. If things do not get better or to the same level as they were for, for Zegris and Terry, is there any confidence that somebody can pick up the load here? As excited as we are about Mason McTavish, we don't know what we're going to get from him in his rookie season. What is Comtois going to be this year? Is it going to be what he was two years ago? Or is it going to be what he was last year? Is Isaac Linderstrom going to be able to step up based off what he did last year? Um, you you would hope you know what you're going to get from Strom, Henrik, and Vitrano just based off their track record. But outside of that, Zegers and Terry, this offense relies on them heavily because we still have a lot of unknowns in McTavish and Comtois, Linderstrom, Jones, Regenda, and even Silverberg with the injury problems that he has, right? The health problems. So that that I think is the biggest concern is is as much as it's the optimism of these guys could explode and the, and the lift the offensive ceiling of this team. If they don't, who's going to pick up the slack for them? Because there isn't any proven young players or players in this roster right now who are going to get better, right? It's a lot of ifs surrounding this team. If they're all good, then all of a sudden this team is going to look great. If they don't pick up the slack, that's where it becomes an issue. 
So if I wanted to paraphrase what you were saying, would it be unfair to say that your biggest area of optimism is high-end talent and your biggest area of concern is scoring depth? Yep. Yeah, yeah. I'd say that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Just uh, of a track record of, of, of in, mm-hmm. with, in the score, in the depth players we have, there's outside of Strom, Henrik, and Vetrano, and even Vetrano's kind of fringe there. There's no consistency there, and what you know you're going to get from these guys this season. It's with Jones missing an entire year. It's come to uh, the tale of two seasons the last couple of years, right? So Isaac Linderstrom, great last year. Kenny followed up, right? So that's that's the the question marks there with this depth scoring is there's the potential for it to be good but we don't know what it is yet. Yeah, I I think that's right. Like, I think for me, you know, I I don't know if I'm just like a contrarian asshole or a cynic or what, but my thing that hasn't left the back of my head this whole offseason has been what happens if... (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, Okamura said all three. Um, but uh, I I wonder, you know, just what happens if they don't take that step forward in a production sense, right? Like what happens if they have a traditional kind of sophomore slump in Jamie Dreesdale, Trevor Zegers? You've got these two guys that, you know, by and large kind of just showed up out of nowhere and were just kind of like, oh, yeah, we're kind of good for 50 games or 40 games or whatever it was they played the year before. And then they had their first full season and they got serious minutes. Um, They played meaningful roles. And now there's a year's worth of footage on them. Like what happens, right? Uh, Like, again, we haven't seen this version of Troy Terry before. So what happens if Mm -hmm. his shooting percentage falls a little bit, even if he's generating the same quality of chances, what if the shooting percentage drops? He's not putting up 40 goals. He's closer to 18, 19, right? I just I, these are this is my concern is are we putting too much pressure on these young players because of an expectation that their growth should be semi-linear and and I think for me that's that's my area of concern is mm-hmm. is this team in a position to not even from a goals perspective I just think in a quality of play perspective, is this team good enough to hold up for 15, 20 game stretches if, you know, those two guys go cold? Like, just from a a makeup point, right? Like, that's my question. And And I think the guys that were brought in, I think there's an argument to be made that, you know, there's some really solid supporting talent and there is now an opportunity to have some older players with a bit more experience kind of around to insulate, like you said, the younger guys with all the veterans that are already on the team, like Cam. Yeah. I, I think that that's where the concern comes, and that's where you hope is that McTavish is enough. You know, Comtois has a bit of a bounce back year. Lindstrom is at least the same as he was last year. Strom and Vetrano add enough to this team. You know what you're going to get from Henrique. Mm-hmm. And that Max Jones coming back, he can kind of continue the the good form that he had in preseason. That that's enough. That if Zegers goes cold or if Terry goes cold, that they're able to pick up the slack for that bit until they get you know back on form. 
I, I do. I will say one thing about the pressure of these guys. I think at some point, you know, you have to put the pressure on these guys because these are your best players offensively, and they and what they did last year warrants the pressure to be thought of as the main offensive outlet for this team. And at some point, they're going to have to prove that they can do that consistently, right? So, yes, I don't think that's unfair. But I think my my point is less we can't let these guys take the reins. It's more of they just, like, Trevor Zegers just had his rookie season. Troy Terry just had his breakout season. And now we're hearing talk just from outside of the fan base, right? Just people in the media in general have said there's like an outside shot. This team makes the playoffs. Like that's on them. Cause like you said, we know what Strom is. We know what Rico is. We know what Vetrano kind of is, right? We've seen him produce at a certain level when given that the top six opportunity that he's going to have at Anaheim. If this team doesn't make the playoffs. It will be hard for me to think it isn't, significantly because of Terry, Zegers, McTavish, and Dreesdale just not being there yet. I don't, And I don't think that's bad. I'm not – I don't mean that to, to denigrate them. It's just I wonder if being going from we're in the lottery to we're a fringe playoff team, like that's fast to me. Yeah. And, and I just wonder like – you know, what happens if they go 20 games without scoring a goal? Like, shit just happens. Hockey's weird. If they do that and they start to lose points in the standings, like, how does the team kind of respond to that? What does Aikens try to do with the team? And this is all stuff that, like, we can't necessarily answer. But I, I do think it's it's reasonable to kind of wonder what happens in that situation. Sorry. I, I, I just – I think – that's the thing. Cause I'm hundred percent with you. Like I'm not here yeah. for like putting the floaties on them or anything like that. I'm down to just let them go out there and play. If they get beat, they get beat. I don't give a shit. My question is more about the end expectation than it is the, the ability for them to play game to game as leaders on a team. Yeah. I, I think, I think the good sign is the scoring distribution in preseason where guys stepped up. It seemed, you know, Derek Grant, two goals, four assists, Lunderstrom two and two, Terry had a goal and four assists. Jones had three goals and an assist. Strom with a goal and three assists. And Vitrano with two goals and an assist. Henrik was in there as well. Zegers missed a, a fair amount of games, but you would imagine if Zegers was healthy, he'd be in that mix as well. So they are things are looking good heading into the season that they were doing that. Obviously, then it, you know, preseason and regular season and keeping that consistency over 82 games is a whole other story. But... I think I think there's a good time to get into some of the questions we have about the season. We have a bunch of them here to kind of start diving into this as an actual season preview. First thing we got to look at is the the odds for this season. So Sports Interaction has us uh, an over under of seventy nine and a half points. The Ducks had seventy six points last year. That's a perfect line to me. I th- I think it's fair. That's exactly right to me. There it's is, not great. Like it's not you know it's not what you want to see heading into why, a season, here, but it's fair. Why isn't it? Why isn't it what you want to see? Well, I mean, obviously you would want you would want to be near the top end of the league. It's it's. But, but, but for the you, Ducks, it's fair. Do you right now? Do no, you no. Really I, I'm 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 thinking like I'm not strictly talking about like where the Ducks are now, and and taking that all of the equation. Just you would rather have yeah that okay higher. fair yes. in a you vacuum would, you yes. would love to see a, a 98 101 level over under where this team is expected to be a regular season contender totally yeah. fair for where anaheim is at that to me is perfect because if they 
jump into the 80s. That's chasing for a wild card spot, which ends up usually around the mid to low 90s. And if they're under it, then this team clearly isn't where, you know, you may have thought they were or something crazy happened. And now you're in the Bedard sweepstakes. Yeah. Like to me, that is a perfect line and almost like a true north for Anaheim this year. It's just like 80. If we're above 80, great. If we're below 80, it's fine. No gives a shit. Let's, let's just go. And I, I just think that's a great line. Yep. I think if you're below that, you're guaranteed a top 10 pick. And if you're above mm-hmm. that, like you said, you're you're at least at some point we're in the wild card hunt. Whether mm-hmm. you know that fell off a month out from the end of the season or whatever, at some point you were in that race. Like they were last year up until um, January, about they were in that playoff hunt, and then the wheels started falling off, and they they ended up moving guys out of the deadline, and then it really was impossible for them to get in that hunt. But yeah, I, I think it's fair, and I, I think that's a good measure of success at at the end of the season. Um, I wouldn't say if they're below 80, it was a failure because you know mm-hmm. it, it is going to be tough. But if you're above that, I think that is a success. I mean, it's an improvement at the very least on last year. And, and like you had mentioned, you're in that hunt at least. So I, I like it. I think it's fair. I, I, I would probably right now put money on the under of 79 and a half points as much as I'd like to see them over. Um, I think it's just going to be tough, man, because there's a lot of teams in this division that got better. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, uh, you know, you were kind of talking about earlier about what it would take for Anaheim to go forward. And the comment you made that kind of hit me was not only would it require things to go right for Anaheim, but things would have to go wrong for a couple of other teams. And I think to me, this is similar to what we talked about kind of in the Atlantic thing with Buffalo is it can be difficult to see a clear path to the top given where the other teams in this division are at, right? Edmonton, for as long as they have those two dudes, aren't going anywhere. Yeah. Calgary has committed to, you know, Hubert Kadri. Uyghur now? He's signed. Yeah, Uyghur, Lindholm. Like, they've committed to going for it for at least the next three or four years. Vegas is still has that roster. Like, all they really need is a goalie, and at that point they become a thing. Uh, Seattle now has two really, really good young center prospects. Like, And they made uh, probably the best offseason move, I think, in getting Bjorkstrand for almost nothing. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, L.A. just added Fiala. They've still got an incredibly deep prospect pool. They've got guys like Kaliev and Velarde who haven't even become full-time contributors who you expect to step into meaningful roles. And like Vancouver I just Vancouver was one of the best teams near the end of the last season. So yeah, yeah. you know what I mean. Like, and, and I don't mean this to, to, to be cynical, but more to your point that like I I do think it is very easy to see a situation where this team plays well most nights and they still don't hit eighty points. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's possible, and and again, that's just where they are among the other mix of teams in this division, and how a lot of these teams are either still in their competitive winter or turning the corner into a competitive window where the ducks and sharks are maybe the only two teams who haven't taken that step yet. Right. You know, Vegas still in a competitive window, Edmonton in a competitive window, Calgary, definitely in a competitive window. The Kings are turning that corner. Vancouver is hoping to turn that corner. Seattle is probably on the outside looking in, but they got at least better where they will be more competitive than they were last year. And you would expect more things about them. So I would say I guess the Ducks are probably the closest to Seattle in terms of their makeup, some young players mixed around with a, a good group of veterans that they've put around them. 
Um, and I, I mean, a lot of people have the Sharks finishing above the Ducks. I don't see it, but I think the, the argument is very easy for a San Jose finishing above Anaheim, mm-hmm. just with the the talent on the roster and the mm-hmm. high end talent. I, I, Meyer me, and Hurdle. Meyer, Hurdle, Couture. Like Logan yeah. Couture is still good. Like he's not great. But he's still good. Like he's still a sixty to you know sixty five seventy point player. Like you know, uh, I, there is a world to me in which they finish ahead of Anaheim. What I would point to for Anaheim's benefit in that is their coach is David Quinn. No idea what that's going to be because goaltenders James Reimer. Yeah, you know, season. I mean, there are legitimate concerns there. Like, I think the, I think a lot of models have them and the Ducks almost within three or four points either way. Like, that yeah. seems perfectly legit to me for the bottom. I think what's interesting is, is if you're Anaheim, are you looking at Seattle similar to how Buffalo is looking at Detroit? Where you're like, we both can see where in five years we're con- legit contenders, and we both understand that we're gonna have to kill each other to get there. Yeah, yeah. Because again, like I forget, I think we talked about this on the, the Buffalo deep dive, where three teams, them Ottawa, Detroit, are all vying to dethrone one team from that mix because Tampa, Florida, Toronto should be good for the next few years. Mm-hmm. And it's how do you basically dethrone Boston and who is it that ends up making that spot? And obviously five teams can make it, but the Ducks will get into that conversation, right, with Seattle, potentially San Jose at some point where they're all vying to get in one or two spots because Edmonton should theoretically still be up there. Calgary should be up for it for the next few years. And then, you know, it's one of Vegas or, or Vancouver so or even L.A. So it's who do you dethrone and who, who are you fighting tooth or nail with in Seattle in this case to take that, that team out. So I think that's, yeah, a pretty good comparison and how the Ducks would be looking at this Seattle roster is they're all both kind of in a similar stage right now. The Ducks maybe a bit further along just because of the prospect pool is stocked a little bit heavier than what Seattle obviously can do as a new team. But they will be in the kind of the same competitive window when they're starting to come up um, with a, a lot of their young players hitting at the same time. Obviously, Beniers and Wright coming in for Seattle this year and, and Zegras and Drysdale and McTavish coming in for Anaheim. So it's it's going to be a similar timeline and window for both those teams. Yeah, and like and like you said, that, that, that four or five wild card spot, like you can either fight eight teams for three spots or you can, what is that? Ten teams for two spots. Yeah. Like there, there. It's just, it's like, and again, Minnesota should be good for a few more years. They're gonna have to to deal with, you know, the the cap implications for the next couple of years. But they've got Kaprizov locked up. They've got Spurgeon locked up. They've got um, Erickson Eck locked up. Like that team is going to be together in a way that'll keep them competitive. St. Louis just extended their two big guys. Like it's a crazy thing to me. And I don't think it's the worst idea for Anaheim to continue to exercise patience, if not restraint in their expectations 
because I don't know what the benefit is of pushing for the playoffs this year. Other than just like, I love making the playoffs. I'm here for it. I'm not telling them to, to, yeah. you know, I'm not telling anybody to like play like shit or anything like that. And not, not even necessarily endorse the tank, but not be so, I guess, present minded that you don't maybe move one or two guys down the line, right? I think Klingberg, yeah. we all expect to move. And they're, you know, Kulikov and yeah. maybe even Shaq. Yeah, everybody on the blue line is not signed beyond this year except Fowler. And obviously Drysdale will be back and they'll re-sign him. But you would imagine everybody else potentially could be in the mix to get moved out the door. There's yep. a lot of forwards in, in, in that group as well. Um, Adam Henrik has two years left, and maybe that's enticing to a team looking to lock him down for two years. Silverberg has two years left. That one's a bit unlikely because of the injury troubles. But, yeah, I, I think from what we've seen from Verbeek, it, it's not out of the question that if he feels like it, it doesn't make sense for them to hold on these guys to try and just kind of make the playoffs, that he'll move them to get something to make this team better in the future, which is reassuring going into this season that you know that they won't overreact to how they're doing on ice, that there is a plan in place. And if they feel like they're not ready to make that step, that they're going to stick with it. Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, I, I, like we said, you know, over the summer with like everything, uh, as far as like when the free agent additions were made and the Kulikov thing and stuff like that, it's like everything that they've done to this point has been about keeping their options open, moving forward. Um, and I think that is kind of the mindset that they should, the franchise needs to be in moving forward, which is just very open-minded, very amenable, very um, kind of just trying to maintain the flexibility that comes from being a rebuilding team with cap space as long as possible. To that end, while we're talking about forwards, where are you at with not extending Zegers during the season? Um, I, I, I'm fine with it. I, obviously, I would, I would have liked to have it done at the start of the season and just get it over with. But we talked about this, I think, when it came out, is that if you're not going to do all three of them, you can't just do one of them. So if you're not going to also do Terry and Drysdale at the same time, then it didn't make sense for me to just do one and say, okay, we'll wait and see how you guys do in the season. And if you can't follow it up, then we're not going to give you as good of a contract type thing. So I think it's motivating for them, for Zegers and Terry, to show that they can do what they did again last year and earn a big contract. Because you give them, you know, you give Terry a big deal in the offseason, right? Give them, well, I forget what we discussed, you know, something, something around eight, eight by six or whatever, right? He comes out this year and just does not get anywhere close to the 30 goals, 60, 70 points that he did right. last year. You run the risk of that. And as much as we'd all want him to see that and, and are confident that he can still be that type of player and, and keep this up, we've seen Ricard Raquel go from back-to-back 30-goal seasons to never being able to hit that. We've seen that in the past. And luckily, they never gave him a bad contract based off that that hurt them. But I think it is a smart move to say, okay, you know what, we'll see what they can do this year. At the end of the day, the worst-case scenario is they have great years and you have to give them what they're worth. That's not a bad scenario to be in. You have the cap space, and that means they are what you thought they were, right? So... If the worst case scenario is these guys balled out and you have to pay them for it, like I'm fine with that. 
Let me ask you this. Is it fair to say that the worst case scenario isn't they pop this year and you get them signed to eight-year deals, but the worst case scenario is they pop this year and refuse to sign anything longer than three? It, it It's concerning. Could I see Trevor Zegers potentially do that? And that not to get it moved somewhere else, but to... You know, he's seeing that other guys are getting eight, and he'll probably only get eight, eight and a half now, and to hold out for 11, 12 later down the road. Especially when the cap jumps, yeah. as it's expected to. So I could see that. And, and even then, uh, I mean, I would rather have him on an eight by eight because you know that that's going to be a great deal right, for Anaheim. for sure. Uh, but, you know, if 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 that's the way they go and, it, and you know, obviously it works better for Trevor Zegers, then I'm, I'm fine with it preferably if it keeps him still under RFA status, which I believe it would um, at the end of that three-year deal because we all have the slight concern somewhere deep down inside that he's going to become a ranger at some point. Can I be completely honest with you? I forget about that constantly. Yeah, I just bring it up every time we talk about him. I never think about that fact. I don't know why because normally it would be in the back of my head the entire time. And I don't know why, for some reason, I just never think about it. Blocking it out because you... It, I guess, it's, man. It's too terrifying to think of, but I will <laughs> make sure every show to, to bring it back up. But uh, That's why you're the leader in this game. <laughs> yeah, that's I, I bring the negative news and bring us down. <laughs> we're, getting too, we're getting too hyped up, and I, I got to bring us down a little bit. But, I, yeah, like I, I'm fine with it. I think this plays into kind of one of the first big questions we had about the season. We've, we've touched it on the topic briefly. Um, a few times already, but do you think Terry and Zegris will repeat on last year's number or improve? I think this is unfair because if you honestly ask me, I think they could both put up better seasons, put up better underlying numbers and still fall five to 10 points shy of where they hit last year. And I would consider it a better season. Yeah. I, I think for me, this is kind of the part of where Anaheim is at. That was where L.A. was at when I loved the Todd McClellan signing, which is this is about building good habits on the ice. This is about kind of the system start to be put in place. And, and these guys just to build good habits and become complete players, 200-foot players. Not even – and that's not to say Zegers needs to win a selfie, but, like, he just can't – you know, he can't go stand in the other end looking the wrong direction. Like, he needs to just have an idea – of what's going on. Like we, you know, like anybody says, like 85% of defense is effort. So, you know, it's, it's, it's just about them kind of taking those steps. Maybe, you know, maybe the power play improves on, on a consistency basis. It starts to generate more quality chances. And again, if they don't produce, I think to me, this is where I just want to see them playing. well. I want to see them taking chances. I want to see them being aggressive I'm fine if they fail. I just don't want them to be scared. Like that for me, right? Like that's my thing. Is don't be afraid of the moment. If you fail, you fail. Who gives a shit? It's free money this year. We've got guys in places that we think can maybe jump and rise to the occasion if we're ahead of schedule. And at the same time, we're totally fine where we're at. We have plenty of options. I just want to see them go for it. And to me, I don't think they're going to hit last year's numbers. So you say uh, under then? I, I would say under, but I don't think that means they're going to have worse years. Yeah. 
Does that make sense? No, I yeah, I, I get it. Uh, all around game goes up, and point wise, they'll be still in the mix. I mean, listen, if you get anywhere near sixty points, it's still a great year, all things considered. And it is tough to improve on that, especially when now you've you've presumably got more help spread out across the lineup. I I can see it. Part of me just knowing how skilled these guys are and the confidence is there and from what we've seen from Terry and Zegris, this just ability to break open a game at any moment. It it's a little it's just a little bit different from guys we've talked about in the past, like, oh, can they continue? Can they improve on last year's numbers? And we talked about it a lot last year in Trevor Zegris and can he avoid a sophomore slump and well, wow, it just it, it looks like it's going to be almost impossible for defenses to figure this guy out because he he just kind of comes up with it split second. I I think it's possible for one, if not both of them, to improve on last year's numbers. I think for Zegers it might be a little bit easier because for Terry it's not going to be so much the points but the goals that I think that people are going to kind of lean towards when looking at if he did better than last year. He could put up the same amount of points, but if it comes in 20 goals and 40 assists, on paper, do people look at that as a worst year? Potentially, because he didn't hit, you know, he almost had 40 last year, right? right. Doesn't mean he played worse, doesn't mean he had a worse season, but that's going to be the thing I think people look at, that sticker shock of the 37 goals. For Trevor Zegras, I think there's real potential for him to get around 70-plus points this year on that power play that should be improved, centering what would be the top line and having a lot of different wingers in the lineup that they could play with him that should complement his ability. I think there there's more of a chance that he improves on his numbers than Troy Terry does. And again, that's no detriment to Terry in saying he's going to have a bad year. I think, like you had said, they both can have good years and not... Uh, surpass the numbers that they did last year, which is fine. Um, on that topic of the power play, how much does the power play improve this year just with the addition of John Klingberg? Not including, you know, McTavish on the power play or Strom, just with John Klingberg, how much better does he make this Ducks power play than it was last year? <clears throat> I'm going to say something shitty. Okay. If you just assume that John Klingberg takes Ryan Getzloff's spot functionally in the power play, Yeah, I think it makes it loads better. Not about Ryan Getzloff so much as it's about John Klingberg being a completely new face. The thing to me that has held Anaheim back is how much the Ross... Like, this, we've had this conversation a thousand times, but I think the power play to me was one of the most glaring examples of why the roster was kind of stagnant even when they changed coaches, when they changed schemes, when they changed units, it's still the same 10 guys that all fucking know each other. And they've been playing together for three, four, five years. So I just think there was kind of a, a malaise or, or a comfortability uh, that came from that. For Klingberg, he's coming from a completely different team, from a completely different system with something to prove. And he's now going to be in a situation where he's going to be given the keys to the power play. Like, bro, go. I just think, you know, the type of player that he is, his, his willingness to shoot, and just the fact that he's a completely new set of eyes, I, I really do think can have a very significant impact on the power play. Just the puck movement alone, and we saw it on the in the last game and through it preseason when they were all together on that top unit. 
it's a lot of fun to watch that, to have the right shot and the passing ability for John Klingberg to kind of just control things from the blue line. And then to have Zegers on that half wall, setting things up, looking for cross ice passes and them kind of just working off each other. That alone is going to make the power play better and more exciting and is going to open up options for Strom, who could be on that far side, or McTavish in front of the net, or whoever they end up putting, you know, Troy Terry, whoever goes up on this top unit. Those two guys on the power play as options to open up the pass. There's not many players you look across the league and say, yeah, that guy will do a better job than one of those two, right? Like you're getting into the upper echelon elite area of players on guys you would want running the power play. So that alone is exciting. And like I said, from what we've seen from Klingberg and Zegras on, on their ability to work you know, the puck on that power play, it's going to be a lot of fun. I think it's going to be better. I think, again, having some more talent in the lineup as finishers with Vitrano or Strom is going to help. So I mean I'm I'm really excited about what he can do it. And again, like you said, there's not any detriment to Ryan Getzlaff and what he was doing, and even Jamie Drysdale and what he was able to do on the power play last year. This is just a guy whose bread and butter has been power play production throughout the, the pretty much the entirety of his career. Like that's where he's done most of his damage is on the power play, and the Ducks haven't really ever had a weapon like that on the blue line. So for him to be here i i think it's it's gonna make a huge difference to the way they set up and what they can do on the on the power play and i and i think they're gonna load up that first unit and this is gonna be one of those scenarios probably where that first unit as long as they're out there and getting controlled zone time we're gonna play you know a minute a minute 20 they're gonna they're gonna i don't think it's gonna be split the way it was last year we had kind of a minute for one unit and a minute for the the second unit i think they're gonna be heavy on this top unit, especially when Klingberg's out there. So to your point, Eduardo, John Klingberg's career, 71 goals, 303 assists. On the power play, 19 goals and 129 assists. Yeah. He is going to really be a, an infusion of, of, of offensive talent. And again, I just think it's it's a mindset thing. He's just in a different place than a lot of these guys were who have been playing together forever. Like, like you're like what you said about Jamie. Like, even as much as he brought a different dynamic and he had a, a different perspective, even just being so much younger than the other guys, like he's still the kid stepping into the older system, and you know, naturally and rightfully deferring to the other players as far as kind of how this goes. He's still finding his feet. You can't ask him to completely take over, you know, a power play unit or anything like that. So I think, um, you know, for me, I think the thing that Klingberg and Strom do is they just add more kind of offensive depth to really stretch out those power plays. Because, like, if you think about, like, umbrellas, like, to me, it kind of feels like it's Terry, Klingberg, Zegris, and then the second unit is McTavish, Drysdale, Fowler. You know, and then you've got like Strom and Petrano and, and Comtois and Jones that you can regenda Lundestrom, whatever you want to do, that kind of you can use as screeners or uh, in that bumper spot. You've got Henrique. Fuck, I didn't even mention him. Like, yeah. you know, I, I think, um, you know, there's a real good chance we finally get a good power play in Anaheim. I know last year the numbers 
uh, the underlying numbers didn't really improve, but some of the production felt like it went up a little bit. Yeah, they started very hot too on the power play yeah. though, and then <laughs> it it got significantly worse. But they stayed kind of in the middle of the pack rankings wise because of how hot they started. And then it just as the season went on, it got tougher and tougher as guys went out the door and guys went down with injury. But you you feel now that you have enough depth there that if a guy does go down you have another guy who can step in and be impactful on that unit. You've got a good enough second unit now where, okay, you know, Klingberg's the number one guy in the top unit, but you've got Fowler, you've got Shattenkirk, you've got Drysdale, you can put up in that second unit for blue liners. You've got, you know, Jones, McTavish, um, Henrique, Silverberg, if you want as well, that you, you know, come to all that you can put on that second unit, that it isn't like Derek Grant who's going to be out there on the top unit like it was last year at some points, right? So there is hopefully uh, a bit more depth spread out and guys who can put the puck in the back of the net. And uh, the next question we had here, and uh, this is partial, uh, partially because of a bet between Pat and Dave about how many goals Frank Vitrano mm-hmm. could score this year. I think it was 25 was their mm-hmm. bet. My question or kind of note here is for Vitrano and McTavish, we'll start with Vitrano, over under 20 goals for the regular season for Frankie Vitrano. I have over. I oh. think he'll get Oh, I think he'll get over 25. Do you think he plays put uh power play time? Top power Vitrano? play. Vitrano? Yeah. Or at least yeah, second I, unit, I, right? I, I, yeah, I think I think he'll probably end up in that 45 seconds a game average of power play time. I think if he gets consistent power play time i would put him over 20 here's the thing as the lines stand right now he's playing with zegras mm-hmm. if not if he's going to play hope... with at least zegras or strom too that's the thing right and but here's my question if we let's just operate under the assumption that it's fair to say zegras is going to take a step forward mm-hmm. does that almost naturally push Vetrano towards 25 just because Zegers is a natural playmaker. Vetrano is a very willing finisher. Like Verbeek mentioned like 15 times when we got this guy. Like I just want a guy who's going to shoot the puck yeah, and who's not going to be afraid to shoot the puck. And so, you know, if him and Zegers work out, then I think there's a real opportunity for him to get closer to 30 than 20. I, I think that's possible, I, and obviously they have to stick together and, and build chemistry throughout the majority of the season. It's a good sign that they're going to start together. And then as long as he continues to get power play time, at five on five he's playing with Zegras, and on the power play he's getting, you know, like you said, at least kind of 45 seconds each each run that the Ducks have on the power play. He's a good enough player, and he's gotten close enough to that mark before that with that opportunity, the numbers say that he should hit it. Um, I th- I still feel like for some reason like 25 just feels a bit high. I do think he'll get over 20. But saying that, I would not be absolutely shocked if he did it because of the opportunity that he would be given. Right? It just depends if he's if he take runs up with that opportunity. If not, there are guys waiting in the wings to take that spot. Right? Guys that could produce deeper down in the lineup. Guys that could come up from San Diego. That if he's not going he's not locked in for sure at that spot. So he's going to have to take it early, run with it and, and earn it for him to get to that mark. Because if he's not playing in that top six and he's not getting power play time, obviously it's going to, it's going to be hard for him to hit that number. Yeah. I mean, 
but I, I think there's every reason to think he is going to be given more than enough um, space to kind of find his place in the power play unit. Just because, again, like, one of the things that, that you saw mentioned about the Toronto and even um, directly from some of the team, uh, you know, for Beak and stuff like that, they basically said, like, he just kind of kept ending up in positions where he wasn't able to get a full-time top six spot. Fucking, we don't have a problem with that. Like, we got the space for him. And they, you know, uh, they obviously want him to succeed. He always think- finds his way onto good teams, doesn't he, though? Boston, mm-hmm. when they were ma- making a run, the Rangers, Florida, right? Like, he does find his way onto good teams and is a player that is, is sought after to come in and, and kind of help out a middle six. So it, it he would be a- nice. Yeah, he provides a very, like, like, he's one of those guys, like, you look at him and you're like, oh, I get why he's in the lineup. You know what I mean? There's not yeah. a lot of mystery about what he brings. He's just like, you know, he's quick. He's a willing shooter, and he's got a good shot. Um, I, he I works think hard, the, too. He competes yeah. hard. I, I think the thing for me that's weird is I'd almost say I'm more confident he would not hit 20 than I am that he would hit 30. But I am more confident he'll get over 25 than he will under 20. Yeah. I, I can see that. That sounds it. fucking like it sounds so stupid, but like if he finished with 26, 27, that would be in my head kind of exactly where I figured him. Like in my head, he's going to finish between 24 and 27. And and that's what the Ducks need for them to kind of dig their way out of the bottom of the goals mm-hmm. for category that they were in last year is guys further down in the lineup to hit over 20 and then to not just be Terry and, and Zegris. Uh, they need other guys to get into that category and that kind of brings us to the next guy that we mentioned in this conversation with Mason McTavish as well on whether he'll get over 20 goals this season. Uh, I mean, from, from from what we saw last year at multiple levels and from what we've seen in preseason, he looks like a guy who can do it. 100% looks like he has the confidence to do it. I I would put myself personally for him over. I don't know if he's going to get closer to 30. I think it'd be, you know, 20, 21, 22. But he definitely looks like a guy if he continues to have that opportunity to stick around for the entire year and can stay with either that line or in that top six that uh, he has all the ability in the world to get it done. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you just kind of in the same way that, you know, the kind of the Toronto stuff popped into my head. Like, just for some reason, the number in my head is like 17. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't fucking have any reason to say, but like it just feels like an appropriate number that shows he's good, he's mm-hmm. young, he came in, he did a solid job. You know, maybe six or seven of those are on the power play, something like that. But then I think about the fact that he's a much more gifted goal scorer than Zegris, and Zegris hit 21. Yeah. Like, I think you're right where there's a world in which he's getting near 30. Like, you know, especially if, like we said, that power play can continue to take steps forward and, and the, the, the depth of talent that they've added over those two units. McTavish is a prime example of somebody who's going to be able to capitalize on that. Plus, I imagine he's going to be getting penalty killing time. He's got the the skill and the the strength, and and you know, not he's not the fastest guy, but he's got enough speed that like he could score a couple shorties. Like uh, again, like 
he's just an inc- it, he seems to be an incredibly gifted goal scorer and i don't know what to do with that because he could have a perfectly fine year and not crack 15 or he could fucking go off for no reason yeah and and that's the thing too because you can answer that question with kind of apprehension that he might not hit 20 and then the, the other question is can he win the calder trophy and a lot of people are like yeah for sure 100 percent, he could win the calder trophy but it's going to be such a, a ridiculously tight race this year like we thought last year was a tight race and it eventually turned into just kind of Zegras and Cider after, you know, and Raymond was in the mix as well. You go into this year and you've got Do you really hate Toronto that much? Yeah, that dude, you I'm said not putting Raymond. Michael Bunting in there. You said Raymond before Bunting? I yes, love you. That's 100%. the best. I'm not putting Bunting in that conversation. <laughs> this this year is it's, feels like it's going to be wild. With a lot of the, the young players who have made opening night rosters, obviously they might not all stick around. But I, I've listed a few of guys that were already in the conversation before that, where you have McTavish, Owen Power, Matty Beneers, Kent Johnson, Marco Rossi. Now you've got Jack Quinn, who's made the Sabres lineup and looks like he's going to play in the top six. You've got Alexander Holtz, who made the Devils. Slavkovsky. Holtz is playing with Jack Hughes and Andre Palat. Like that, he's going to have an opportunity. He, and he had, was a point per game in the AHL last year, so he's in the mix all of a sudden as well for that. So there, there's – and there's – Plenty of you know Matt Boldy, I think, is still eligible. I believe to be a rookie, as uh, I think so. I, I don't know if he played too many games last year, but if he's in the mix, then obviously he's the guy you'd put in that category as well. And I'm sure there's you know Slavkowski, like you mentioned, Shane Wright, outside shot, but Wyatt uh, Johnson, behind, yeah, Wyatt Johnson, who made the stars. Like the, it's gonna be a tight race for for McTavish to get there. But if he's gonna be in that mix, this is a guy who probably with the rest of these guys around is gonna have to get close to 30 if not over to be in that mix to kind of stand out right like that right there puts if you're the only rookie to hit 30 goals you might be 10 or 15 points off the next guy but that right there i think makes you stand out a little bit if you hit that many goals as a rookie at the nhl level so he's gonna have to do that or do something close to that to be able to stand out because you know maddie Beneers is going to have an excellent season after what he did in nine games at the end of last year, and he's going to be the top-line center, top-line power play for Seattle. Owen Power is going to get tons of opportunities in Buffalo, and the list goes on for all these guys and the opportunities that they seem to have been given early on in the season and preseason here that McTavish is in the same mix there, first-line minutes and power play time. He's going to have to get to that level to win it this year. Yeah, I mean two things one first thing i think you're 100 percent right i think in a world in which mctavish wins the calder he has to leave rookies and goals i i don't see another way that he does it um you know i mean lindell put up i think 20 goals and was incredible last year didn't really come that close so, yeah. you know, there's going to be goal scorers. Uh, you know, you've got Dylan and Genther, like, who could stick around the whole time, and we know he's a goal scorer. Like, it, it's going to be really interesting. And, and to that point, Kevin Weeks had a tweet tonight, and I mentioned this to you before because I, I just thought it was awesome, uh, where he just said, keep an eye on, and then he just said, there are a lot of guys on ELCs and real young players who are in the league this year because of this cap crunch, that there, there's going to be a lot of impactful young players. And, you know, I mean, shit, you didn't even say Marco Rossi. 
-hmm. You know what I mean? Like there, there are players that we just didn't even mention that could still absolutely, uh, I mean, shit, Nick Robertson could come up and, you know, do great in Toronto. Like, don't even get me started with that. Like this, this guy led them in preseason scoring and they sent him back down to the minors because they have $4 in cap space. (laughs) At a certain point, man, Kyle Dubas just like, I don't know what he's doing. Um, but you know, I, I just think that there is, there is a, there are going to be a lot of names in the mix. I mean, shit, at the beginning of last season, it seemed like Najokovic was going to have a shot at mm-hmm. being in the Calder conversation. I mean, we were all talking about, like, three guys in Detroit playing different positions. Like, how do you even compete with that, right? Like, so, you know, I think there's absolutely an avenue where he ends up as a, a Calder finalist, but I don't think it's automatically a bad thing if he doesn't. No, there's it's, just way too many fucking guys. Yeah, and it's same. It's the same argument with Zika's not winning it last year. It, you know, it sucks he didn't win it, but it doesn't discount what he did. Right. It, it's just the guy who won it absolutely deserved it without a doubt as a defenseman, a rookie defenseman for what he was able to do. It could be the same thing this year. McTavish could be a finalist. He could be one of the top five rookies in the league. But when you look at the app, the talent of the players that are going to be in the mix this year. You know, we've listed 10. I'm sure there's more. Um, you know, five or six of them should probably be in the race for the majority of the season. And probably Byfield. Yeah, Byfield will be in, shit, in uh, Brant Clark, Clark. the Kings roster as well. So, God, yeah. man. This is going to rock. This season should be so much fun. It, it's going to be tough. And, and obviously, as it always is, it's who can consistently put the production up for the entire season. And what we saw in that race at the end of the day. We saw guys sneak up and Lindell and Boldy at one point, but ultimately the three most consistent guys were in the mix at the end of the season and were the three finalists and and obviously the eventual winner. So all you can ask for is that he plays well enough to be in that mix, and that's what you would want based off the hype that is surrounding McTavish at this point, right, is you just want him to play well enough to be in that conversation. If he wins it, great. If not, it still means he had a great season and looked great for the Ducks. So along the same lines of talking young players, I guess the last one to really focus on, Jamie Drysdale, maybe the forgotten man at this point just because of the hype around Zegris and Terry. What are you expecting from Jamie Drysdale this year? Because we've already said he had an underrated rookie season last year, putting up you know 36 points, I think it was. Um a great year for a defenseman, just obviously overshadowed by the top end with guys like Sider. What do you expect from him this year? Not just points, but just his overall play. I mean, I think, you know, like I said at the beginning, just like his, his willingness this preseason to just aggressively be more physical has been really impressive. And to me, that's, that's a confidence thing. That's a maturity thing. That's, you know, him seeking to assert himself. He, you know, I mean, um, yeah, he had 32 points, four goals, 28 assists. Uh, he had 12 power play assists last year. I think for me, like 15 to 20 power play assists is kind of where I would be hoping he can end up. If he can end up in the seven, eight, nine goal territory, I would lose my shit, be happy. Uh, but I think just kind of looking for him more to be productive on a power play I think is a a little bit more fair to kind of where he's at where the team is at and things like that but you know just really want to see him build on what he did last year which is we saw him leverage his skating ability 
to make incredible plays and make mundane plays. And, you know, as he, as he continues to develop, that's the thing for him that's going to unlock everything is how can he continue to leverage his skating to have an impact on the game. And, you know, to this point, it looks like it's going to be chasing guys down and getting in on the rush. And, like, it just seems like he's going to kind of be all over the place with his skating. It's great to see. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see him in this kind of reduced role in a sense uh, where the pressure is not on him to be that guy this year. I think that's going to do wonders for him. Um, I'd like to see him work on the defensive side of the game. Like you said, though, you, you know the skating ability is going to be there, so he's going to leverage that to help him out defensively. Uh, but with the decision-making and, and maybe just kind of the physical side of the game to see him refine some of those areas. Um, and then, yeah, produ- power play production, I think, will be the big thing to increase the point numbers, right? If we're going to see him get to that 40, 45-point range um, where we're talking, you know, the upper tier of offensive defensemen, he's going to add a, need to add a few power play assists here or there um, on top of what he did last year, which will be tougher because he's not the number one option this year. So he's going to have less time to make an impact on the second unit. So um, it's See, almost I an addition. I, I understand what you're saying, but I would almost disagree in the overall quality of both units is so much better this season mm-hmm. that while he may not be first choice given John Klingberg, I think the quality of chances he's going to get could be better. Yeah, just less time on the yeah, for presumably sure. totally, less totally power sure. play time. Um, until a decision is made on John Klingberg later on in later on in the year, um, I would say I was about to say it's maybe an audition for him to take over the number one power play unit when if the Ducks end up moving on from John Klingberg. But no matter what, like he's the guy who's going to take over that spot. And maybe uh, Cam, but I would imagine outside of Cam, it's it's Jamie. He would be the guy who would take that spot for this year. Yes. Yes, for this year, yeah. You, you've for got Cobb and Zellweger for the future. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Those would be the guys that, if they're going to come in and usurp them, it would be those guys uh, who could very you could very easily see doing it. Uh, you sent me a clip, I think it was yesterday or the day yeah. before, of Minchikov, just a beautiful wrist shot just through everybody, and it was just perfect. Yeah, um, um, can't can't go the, the the entire show without mentioning the start that he's had, but five goals and twelve points in five, five games, games with Saginaw, he leads the entire league in scoring by two points, I think, and as a defenseman, like not just defenseman in scoring, like he leads the league in scoring, which is ridiculous. A so great start to him. Zellweger's back in Everett. Um, has played two games so far, and he'll he'll get up to speed at some point. But yeah, to. Uh, to potentially, and I, I made this tweet at, at that same night, the Ducks potentially have the two best defensemen in the Canadian Hockey League this year. Uh, when you look at the future of that, to, to go in with Jamie Drysdale and some of the young defensemen, Luno, Warren, uh, Hellison, Thrun that they have coming up, that's the high-end talent that you're looking for. And not only is it you know high-end talent, it's modern you know, the modern defenseman on the blue line with Zellweger and Drysdale and Minchikov, great skaters, great puck distributors, and guys who can run a power play. Uh, and all three of them should not only make the NHL, but be impactful players, if not superstars at this level. I mean, Zellweger and Drysdale are still projected to be stars at the NHL level, and Minchikov is on his way to getting there. There's a whole, obviously, a whole different level going from junior to get to the NHL level. 
but uh, there's a reason the Ducks have one of the top prospect pools in the league, and a lot of it's because of those guys. Yeah, I so I, I want to ask about the defense, the defense core, I suppose. Where are you on it? Like, I, I, it sounds silly. Like, we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but just kind of in the same way like we talked about with the forwards, like, what do you think is the reason for optimism? What is an area of concern? Like, uh, you know, like, where are you at with this defense core right now? I'm, I'm more optimistic than last year. Uh, I mean, again, a lot of that is obvious because the addition of John Klingberg. Um, I think Kulikov has helped ease to some extent the concerns we had about this being just an absolute all gas no breaks blue line right um he he helps that a little bit that that still is the concern is is can these guys defend you know for an entire season one of the struggles not only for the ducks last year was scoring goals but keeping the puck out of the back of the net i think it was like 271 goals against which was second worst in the entire division so shattenkirk's as Okamara put in the chat, is a concern defensively. Klingberg, as great as he is offensively, is a concern defensively. Fowler has gotten better, but he's not going to be the defensive defenseman there with Klingberg, so are they going to get caught out too much? Jamie Dry still has to work on his defensive side of the game. So that comes down to Kulikov, Bolyu, Benoit as the real defensive defenseman on this team. Is that enough? I think that's probably where the concern comes from the blue line, but that just kind of gets overridden for for me with the hype of what this they could do offensively, right? Like, there's just going to be a lot of fun to watch. Um, whether they can defend their own owned and, de- and defend the rush is, is another question, but they're, they're going to be a hell of a, a lot of fun going forward, at least. Yeah, I think, um, you know, one, I guess the one area of concern, aside from, like you said, the actual, their ability to actually play the position, uh, not play the position, but play the name of the position. Either. Yeah. Um, is like we mentioned earlier. There's a world in which half of this fucking blue line's gone before the end of the year. Yeah. And no. What does that do? Reasonable um, additions to come from San Diego to replace them in a sense, I mean, right? Yeah. I mean, I think you know, you could basically spend the last 20 games going Cam, Dreesdale, Benoit, Ballou, Hellison, whoever the hell. Like, you You're going to catch pro- a lot of hate for that pronunciation more than anything. How do you say anything. it? Uh, Beaulieu? Is that what it is? <laughs> yeah. Beaulieu? Yeah. Beaulieu. That, that's a new top one. I love that. Blue. I just know there are, there are a few French Canadian listeners who are going to absolutely yeah. hate that. Again, I'm from <laughs> Southern California. I didn't even know French was a language until I was like 25. Fair. Um, but yes, it is. It, it it's definitely concerning. That um, to me, I think, is the, the biggest is is the only thing that I would be like legitimately concerned about because again, like the defense of it is they've done enough to make you think that if they can kind of figure it out systemically or systematically, then they'll have an opportunity to be good enough uh, with the guys that they have. I think ultimately the question is, is going to be what happens when half those guys leave? Yeah. Um, I, uh, bowl you? 
That's not that's that's gonna be so hard for me. <laughs> bowl you. Just, no, just bowl you. Bowl you. Bowl you. Yeah. Okay. What would you mention? Uh, my phone died, so I haven't been in the. Uh, oh no! Just this... uh, somebody put typed in Baloo. <laughs> B-A-L-O-O. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we didn't even mention Josh Mahura claimed by the Panthers off waivers, so no Josh Mahura either is, a, is an option to step in at any point. Um, All right. The, the what op- is that? Is there is that a loss to you? Is that a game? No, I, I don't. It's, it sucks to see him not turn into what we hoped, as it is with any prospect. I wish him the best in Florida. I don't think it's a significant loss because of what you have coming up eventually. Like mm-hmm. I, I made, I think it, I don't think it was on Twitter, but in our discord, a bit of a snarky comment. Like he would have lost his job anyway in a couple of seasons when Zellweger and Mintikov make the team with Cam Fowler already here. Um, it's not necessarily wrong either. So yeah, I, I, it just felt like it was time for him to kind of make way. Um, if he had a cleared waivers, great. He would have went to San Diego, played well as he usually does with them, and then kind of struggled to to really stick around and make an impact at the NHL level. So it kind of just felt like it was time. Uh, they have a lot of players like him already and guys coming up like him. So I do like the fact that this does give Benoit you know, a, a chance, a pathway for you know guys like Hellison to come up maybe a little bit sooner that Josh Mahura isn't in the way blocking them. So... Yeah, I'm fine with it. It 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 is a bit of a bummer because I did want him to succeed, and and there were flashes of what he could be every now and then, but the consistency just wasn't there. Yeah, and I think you know we talked about this. I think a little bit when Zellweger got set down, but one of the things we were talking about is like just the fact that like this they have a lot of questions to answer on defense before we even get to this next generation of. Minchikov, Zellweger, Leno, even Ian Moore and Henry Thrun, right? Before we even get to any of those guys, we've got, you know, uh, Vakaninen's injury is not only unfortunate because the player loses time, but also because it takes away time for the organization to have an understanding of what Vakaninen is. What do they yeah. have? What do they need? Things like that. Um, I, again, Mahara seemed like a really good kid. Like, he just seemed like a nice guy, and I wish him all the best, but I, I think he was in a, a situation similar to where Sam Steele was at last year. He just needs a new spot, and I think he's hey, going to be... Steele's looked great in preseason with Minnesota, I'm sure too. he has. I'm, I'm sure of it. Uh, is that a sarcasm Spor- or no? Yeah, absolutely. He had, I think he was five points in five preseason games. He looked Daniel over. Sprong scored 10 goals one time this season. I'm fucking fucking. <laughs> fair, this. fair. I, I do uh, hope he does. I do hope and no, I think I, he'll I, do okay I, in Florida. Yeah, and I think, you know, Florida will be an interesting place for him to kind of go in there. A team that obviously has needs on defense, so he should have an opportunity to step in this year. Um, you know, obviously, I think that's a fair to say that's their intent since they claimed him and, you know, they can't just send him down right away. They're expecting him to maybe compete for a bottom pair. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's easy to see why his game is projectable. Smooth skater, good at carrying the puck, able to make a first pass. He's not the most physical. He can get beat sometimes. He, his offensive upside is not prolific enough. Yeah. You know, I mean, to me, in a lot of ways, he's a, a lesser kid. Yeah. Where there's flashes of it, but it's not consistent enough. 
Yeah, and just like it's not anything remarkable one way or the other. It's just more of just like a steadiness and a simplicity to kind of what they can provide in their role. Yeah. If you want to say that that's being a third line winger, I'm not going to disagree with you, but um, you know, I, I, I'm I'm very hopeful for Mahara. You know, again, it's easy to see why his game is projectable, why he was drafted in I think the second round. Um, yeah, second or third, it, um, and and it was intriguing because he had missed the entire season with injury, so there was hope that mm-hmm. he could have been a first round talent that slid that far because of the injury, but. Mm-hmm. Just didn't take off for him. Um, yeah. I got to throw this in there because it's kind of a, an instant update. Uh, Lisa Dillman tweeted out that Grimaldi was offered an AHL PTO. Um, no comment if he accepted or denied it. And she said, just worth noting that the door is not closed on an opportunity to earn an NHL contract with Anaheim. He's someone they want to keep in the organization. So a bit of an update on Grimaldi there. Um, I think he's on this team by the end of the year. Yeah, hence why there was no announcement of him being released from his PTO, uh, working on something. Probably does sign that AHL contract, plays with the goals, and is one of the first names called up uh, to come play if anybody gets injured or if they just want to switch things up and bring a gap. I like him. I hope he sticks around. I think he, I think he played mm-hmm. well. I think he earned the contract, whether it's the AHL or NHL contract. Uh, makes more sense for the Ducks to be an AHL contract. They have some flexibility there. So uh, I like it. I, I like what he provides. A bit different than, obviously, the guy they picked off waivers today and Brett Leeson, probably about seven inches of difference, but uh, <laughs> not, not in a not, – not, not in that kind of way. But um, uh, with that fourth line, question about Jones, Grant, and Regenda. How long do you think that line stays together? And is it only until Sam Carrick comes back from injury? More like, I guess, a, a longer version of saying, it, is their success in preseason sustainable? If you told me they played seventy games together, I wouldn't, I wouldn't blink. Mm-hmm. Because I think you can talk me into a situation where Sam Carrick is on the third line. Um. And someone like maybe Comtois or something has kind of moved on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, so I think there's a real opportunity for that fourth line, you know, to really stick together. We know, again, I'm not trying to piss anybody off. We know Aikens likes him. Uh, Derek Grant, uh, he had Max Jones down in the A. And Regenda is obviously impressed to the point that the whole team is wanting to stick around. And obviously Aikens is a part of those conversations. Mm-hmm. We saw last year his willingness, over-reliance, whatever you want to call it. But his willingness, I guess, from what for one reason or another, to play Derek Grant against top lines. And, and one of the things we talked about last year was upgrading the quality of wingers around him in order to help lift the floor up and, and kind of force Aikens to play just better quality players when he plays Grant. This is an opportunity for that to happen. You know, uh, what Regenda brings, what Jones brings, there's a lot to like. Um, they're, they're, they look like they can be an incredibly strong line. And, you know, if, if you can have them go out and exploit matchups against bottom sixes, that's how you win hockey games, is, yeah. is winning those marginals. 
the the thing for me with that line and it's twofold because it speaks volumes to Regenda making the roster and being one of a handful of waiver exempt players on the team. Like they chose to send Glenn Godden through waivers. He's a guy who might get claimed to keep Regenda on the line, despite it being an easier decision to just send him down because he's waiver exempt and keep Godden up. Um, so that speaks to the, the preseason he had. But he's also the easiest guy to send down if things don't go right. So mm-hmm. if they don't keep that up or his play isn't sustainable, he's the first name on the sheet to go down to San Diego because he is waiver exempt. It's an easy transaction for them to make and then to bring somebody up, whether it's Gru or DeLeo or Grimaldi or, or Sam Kerr comes back from injury. That's the only thing for me. is it, It's very it's kind of a dumb statement to say in a sense like yeah if they play well they're going to stay together if not then they're not going to but a lot of it for me hinges on Regenda specifically because he's waiver exempt the only other waiver exempt players are Zegers McTavish and, and Drysdale and Zegers can't or McTavish can't go down because right. he has to go to junior and you're not sending Zegers and, and Drysdale down to, to the goals so Regenda is the easy kind of out there if you need to make room on the roster or call somebody up. So that's the only the only way I could see them being split up. But the way they played in preseason, that looks like it could be sustainable. Just a very solid, high-energy line who knows how to play physical and just wear down the opponent. And like you said, they're, they're an overpowering matchup for other teams' bottom sixes to have to go against that um, and, and just get worn down by a line that just competes every shift. So if they continue that, like, yeah, like you said, it it wouldn't be surprising to see them play a majority of the season together because of the way they looked. Um, Again, it's just the Regenda situation does make it tough with that waiver exempt status. Yeah. And the other thing I think about Regenda is he's only 22. So he's not really someone you're comfortable or eager to healthy scratch. Yeah, he needs to get the minutes one way or another. And given his waiver exempt status, like you said, that makes him a very easy guy to send down and bring up and all that kind of stuff. So to that end, it does make sense that if that line's broken up, that'll be a big part of it. But I could also see Jones moving up the lineup. Yeah, that's uh, another thing too. Yeah, you know, or or if there is uh, a shakeup or a trade or something like that, like. What if Sam Carrick comes back and plays center for the fourth line and Derek Grant moves up to, like, third-line left wing or third-line right wing, right? Like, these are possibilities that I think um, uh, are very real. But I think to your point, and again, as stupid as it sounds, if they're playing well, there is not going to be any any real reason or motivation to break them up because... Like I said, we know Aikens likes Grant. We know he's familiar with Jones. Obviously, he's got an affinity for Regenda. His willingness to roll four lines to get guys out there. They're going to play a style of game that Aikens is going to appreciate. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I mean, if if they play well, I see no reason they're going to get broken up. If there are, If there's trouble in the roster above them, if someone isn't clicking, if there's an injury then you're 100% right. Regenda's the first guy to go down. And that's not even anything to do with him other than his contract. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's the thing. It's just one of those. We see it all the time. I mean, we we briefly touched on the Nathan, uh, not 
Yeah. Yeah. No, Nick Robertson, sorry, situation with Toronto. Um, with him getting sent down over Dennis Malgren because he's waiver exempt, despite an excellent preseason from him. Team strapped against the cap, it just made sense. So eventually, I know the Ducks aren't strapped against the cap, but they'll be put in that situation where got to send somebody down, and mm-hmm. uh, he's the one that makes sense if you want to avoid sending anybody through waivers. Um, okay, two quick hits uh, before we move into some listener questions and our predictions for, for the upcoming games. Do the Ducks make the playoffs? No. Yes. Will they be better than last year? 31 wins, 76 points. And I want to say no. No and no? No playoffs and under 76 points? I could see them getting more than 76 points. I don't know they're going to get more than 31 wins. Yeah, and not significantly above seventy. That's points. that's the thing for me is I have a hard time seeing them get to thirty five wins. Yeah, yeah. If it's better, it's marginally better. Yeah, like if they finished eighty one, eighty two, you know, twenty nine wins and just like seventeen fucking loser points or something stupid, that is much more <laughs> likely to me than them uh, getting to thirty five wins. Yeah, Okamar said, "Are they above five hundred? I, I think that goes. To the same extent where I don't, I don't see it because you 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 would kind of need around thirty five wins to be around that five hundred mark. That's usually how it shapes out. If you want to be a five hundred team, you're aiming for thirty five, thirty six wins to be in that mix. I I don't, I don't think so. Um, do they make the playoffs for me? No, they could be in the mix, but I think they fall out of that kind of January, February if they are. And are they going to be better than last year? I'll say yes. I I don't see it being more than like eighty two points at the max though, uh, and that and a lot of things have to go right um, for them to get to that point. All right, game predictions. All right, did this a lot last year. Except Ducks game predictions this time is different because it's presented by Seven One Four Tickets. So Seven One Four Tickets hey. is uh, partnering with us this year, not only for this segment, which is great, uh, but FM Three Stars is back. Finally, it's back after it's kind of partially being back last year. But uh, so we will bring that back. If you haven't participated in FM Three Stars, we posted on Twitter before the game three predictions for the game. Usually, it's first goal score, what the final score is going to be, and then another random prediction: who's going to have the most have the most hits, uh, how many saves is John Gibson going to make, who's going to have the most shots, that type of thing. Uh, you get one point for each correct answer. And at the end of the month, the winner gets a prize. So for sure, we're going to have a prize from 714 tickets. So if you want to get some tickets to Ducks games or some Ducks promo gear, that's going to be great. Working on a few other things as well. But at the very least, that is going to be back this year for that. So if you're not following us on Twitter, make sure you follow us on Twitter and head to our page about 45 minutes before puck drop. Look for that post. Hashtag FM3Stars and participate because that's a lot of fun. I'm 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 happy that we can bring that back. I know a lot of people loved it, and it was tough to bring it back last year with scheduling and not having any reliable pricing. But it'll be fun to have it back. But long-winded way to get into our segment here for our game predictions presented by Seven One Four Tickets. We've got the Seattle Kraken at Honda Center Wednesday, October twelfth at seven p.m. PST. The Ducks are the favorites in that game, which was surprising. At 
uh, minus 125, Seattle plus 105, over under six goals in the game uh, is this the betting line for that game. What do you see? What are you predicting for that? Home opener against a hungry Seattle team, a young Seattle team? What do you see? I think Anaheim wins that game, and I will say this. I think Mason McTavish scores the game-winning goal. Oh. And before overtime or in overtime? Before overtime. Like, 3-2 win, he's got the third goal kind of a thing. Yeah. Actually, fucking A. 3-2, Mason McTavish has the game winner. I like it. Now, I will say, I I do think the Ducks are going to win. If I would put a bet on Seattle at plus 105. It's not a great betting line, but I'm just surprised the Ducks were the favorites for that game. I think a lot of it has to do with how bad Seattle was last year. Um, I think between and that and the Ducks are at home. home. Yeah, the Ducks are at home. Um, but yeah, I, I will say a 4-2 win with that fourth goal being an empty netter for the, for the Ducks. I, I like them playing at home. A lot of excitement going into the season. Fully healthy, it seems as well. So I'll give them the win. Um, over or under the six goals? For uh, me, I, I guess I'm, I'm over. Right, right? Yeah, I have I'm five. Six. Yeah, four, two is six, so well, no, it wait, wait. push. That, that's the thing. It, was, it wasn't five and a half. It was just over or under six goals, and I'm not huge. So that would have been a push. Push, okay. So, I don't know. We'll see. I, I, I have got, under, you have push. Yeah, I got uh, Ducks winning that one. I couldn't find the betting line for Saturday's game, but... Ducks at Islanders starting a road trip where they go to uh, both New York teams, New Jersey and Boston, I believe. Um, Saturday, October 15th at 4.30 p.m. Pacific time. The Islanders, we've talked about them in our Metro Division preview. We don't like them uh, and how they're going to be this year. Pat hates them just for other reasons. Uh, How how do you see that one going? Start of a, a tough road trip. It's always a tough road trip heading out that way. Honest to God, Eddie, I'm sitting here thinking that the Ducks start two and zero, and I hate myself for it. Yeah, I, I, the, I just don't think the Islanders are going to be good. Yeah, and and I, I, they could get goalied. You know, I, I mean, Sorokin could play well enough. Lane Lambert could come in, have a positive impact on the team. Not playing thirty games on the road to start the season, like uh, you know, they just didn't do anything. They didn't do anything. There's for nothing me. there. Yeah. I, I can see. I, I I will say that game. I think could go to overtime. Um, that wouldn't surprise I, me. I will. I will say the two and zero start for the Ducks. It's the most hmm. optimism we've had in a game day predictions for a while. Here we go. This will be the appropriate level of cynicism. One one shootout win. One one shootout win. Okay. I'm fine with that. So that'll you have bring that, that'll bring us all back to earth. Three no two ducks over Seattle on Wednesday. I've got four two, and then you've got a shootout win, one uh, one going into the shootout on Saturday. I will say a four three overtime win for the Ducks. Uh, what is it with you and the Ducks uh, scoring four goals? I don't know, man. I, I just uh, I feel like it's it's gonna start off oh, offensively. No yeah, it's gonna. A few power play goals thrown in the mix there against some teams whose penalty kills don't look that great. I'll yeah, I'll, I'll say four and back to back and and then we'll see from there once they have to go into New York and New Jersey and, and Boston and for for some more difficult. Oh, they games. could totally end that two and three, two yeah. and four easy. Yeah, yeah. But we'll we'll start off strong with that one. So um yeah, I I'll see a little cheeky two and oh start. We'll we'll take that for our first uh, game day predictions of the season. Yeah, man. I like it. All right, but uh, I think that's going to wrap up the show for today. Uh, we'll be back 
hopefully weekly is the plan throughout the regular season as much mm-hmm. as we can um, to do these pretty much every week. I know we, we try and get on a schedule where we can hop on either Saturday or Sunday to record. Um, a lot of that's going to depend on the availability for the guys so we can try and hop on with as many people as possible. Uh, and then obviously the, the scheduling for the Ducks game. So with the Ducks playing the Islanders on Saturday, we probably won't be live this upcoming Saturday aiming for a Sunday or Monday show. But uh, I would say, yeah, make make sure you know, we're either be live Saturday, Sunday, or Monday, barring anything ridiculous scheduling-wise. Um, and we'll be back on a kind of a regular basis from there, whether it's me and Steven or the, the four of us or three of us on the show. Uh, we're going to make a point to to be here at least once a week, sprinkle in a few bonus episodes and, and post-game shows here and there throughout the season whenever we can. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Uh, you know, maybe even try to goof off with some spaces. Uh, yep. I'm sure Eddie is going to want to bring back uh, Ducks Morning Brew, which was an absolute blast last season. Yeah, I hope so. That 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 is the plan. I'm hoping to bring that back because that's a lot it of would fun be, to do. What would be crazy is if anybody else helped you with that. That would be remarkable. <laughs> How cool would that be if you had any support oh, in that fucking adventure at all? That, um, I, I do want to bring that back. That one is fun. But, uh, yeah, like a few Twitter spaces. Um that could be the destination for post game shows, depending mm-hmm. on what goes on with Twitch. Um, and then obviously the regular weekly show is the plan. And we got pucks and brews. That's going to come back at some point here. Once we can get the four of us together. Yeah. So at some point, probably 2023 at, at, at this point. So, uh, but yeah, I appreciate you guys coming out. Thanks for listening today. Season begins on Wednesday. So it's exciting times. Uh, if you want to help us keep going throughout the season, you can find us on Apple podcast, search forever. Mighty, Leave us a rating and a review. We'll read it on the show, and we really appreciate them. It's great to go through them. Uh, some of them, not so great. But <laughs> I have clinical depression. Be nice to us. No, no, all of them are good. All of them are good. They've, they've all been good. The ones that that we can find. I'm sure. I need I'm the sure Apple. Apple hides the negative ones from us, so we don't have to read them. <laughs> um, we're also on Spotify Pat needs too. To stop leaving those. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. It's it's just Pat at this point. Um, Right, he can also now review us on Spotify. So if he wants to go on Spotify, you can leave a rating. Uh, make sure to do that if you haven't already. I know a lot of people probably listen on Spotify at this point uh, rather than Apple Podcasts. We're all switching over from iPhones to Android phones. So uh, I guess except you guys. You guys are all stuck on, on Apple still. So you can go on Apple Podcasts. Um, all the video versions of the show exist on YouTube. Go to YouTube.com slash Podcast. Make sure to subscribe and on topic we also put out some morning shows on there called ducks morning brew hoping to bring those back for this year but you'll find like i said all full episodes of the show hopefully some clipped versions if we can get that going this year just some kind of short hits uh because we always run these about one and one and a half hours to two hours so maybe some short clipped versions where we can here or there uh, along with ducks morning brew throughout the season Uh, any interviews we have will also uh, be up on youtube as well uh, just for some from easier viewing purposes. Uh, check out the website, forevermighty.com, to find everything in one place. You can find where to watch, where to listen, how to support the show, where to find us on social media. Speaking of social media, primarily on Twitter, uh, at forevermightyfm, uh, at Eddie Van Jones for me, and at the Hockey Boomer for Steven. We'll leave out Pat and Jay. You can find them if you want to find them until they come on the show and want to promote themselves. Go. Yeah. And uh, hit us up, man. We, you know, it's usually uh, me or Eddie on there most of the time. Usually me because I have no life. But uh, I, you know, it's always fun. To hit us up, 
tell us if you love the show, you hate the show, whatever. I mean, we'll block you, but it's fine. It doesn't matter. <laughs> um, but no, we always love to hear from any of you, anything you like, anything you don't like. If you think we're crazy, let us know. Um, we love talking to people on Twitter. We love talking to, obviously, each other here. So if we can talk to anybody but each other, that's always a, a nice little positive. Yeah. Love it. Love to be back live. Thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, thanks to everybody who joined the stream tonight. I know it was a bit of a long one and a later one, so anybody who's stuck around for the majority of it or even came out earlier on, thanks for coming out. Um, if you are listening to this not live, try and make it out to one stream during the show. We love to have everybody, or during the season, sorry. We love to have everybody in the chat engaging with us. It's a lot of fun. We've added some new emotes and sub badges um, just to kind of add a little bit of variety to uh, the Twitch chats, but it's just a lot of fun having you guys in here. Um, we'll try and schedule them at decent times. So we can get you guys out here and do a few post game shows. Cause those are always fun to engage with you guys after the game. But if you haven't experienced yet, make sure to come out to the Twitch stream. Cause it's a lot of fun being able to kind of engage with, with you guys during the live recording of the show. Um, just kind of adds a little bit to it. So appreciate everybody coming out, listening after the fact, and we will see you guys later. Enjoy the games this week. Go Ducks.